if you will, turn in your Bibles to the 11th chapter, the Gospel of Mark, for our passage here for our Holy Week message. You can imagine what the emotions were like, the compression in Jesus's life and ministry, the the Hosannas and the son of David's and, and all of the crowds coming out of Jerusalem to merge with those that were coming towards Jerusalem. And, and Jesus, you'll remember, he stops, he weeps over the city, he comes in, goes to the temple. You'll remember that there he was healing the lame and the blind and the children were declaring the praises and and then it was late in the day and it was time for Jesus to withdraw and to depart and to head back to Bethany where he would stay and and processing all of that he has made his his entrance his presentation of himself as the Messiah the credentials had been set before the nation and and the nation had rejected him nothing that Jesus didn't know would happen but he still had to walk through that. The emotion of the day, the weeping, the sobbing over the city, recognizing that the destruction of the city would come because of the rejection of Jesus. Just a few days left to minister to the people. The nation now had been set aside. And Jesus would begin now to offer salvation in the kingdom to individuals. He would preach there in the, the courts, the courts of the Gentiles. And, and the crowds would come and, and the religious leaders were watching helplessly as they were seeking that opportunity to lay hands on him and arrest him ultimately to destroy him thinking that they would preserve the nation by destroying the only one that could save the nation. The only one that can save you. The only one that can save me. And so Jesus departs back to Bethany, retreats, processes. What must it have been like to live in the shadow of the cross? What must it have been like to every cross that he saw recognize that the cross waits for me? Patiently, inexorably, Jesus marched to the cross. And so, needing the time to prepare the disciples for his departure, he returns each day into the city. In this 11th chapter, beginning in verse 12, it says, Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry and would find something, seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus uh, said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. The fig tree was a symbol of the nation of Israel. God had been using the nation of Israel as his instrument to, 
to be able to bring God's love to the world. But now as they had rejected God, had rejected God's son, we see now the, the setting aside uh, of the nation of Israel. And now the church age is going to be born and God is going to use the church to bring forth the good news and the grace of God to the world. And, and so Jesus curses the, the fig tree. The, the, the tree had leaves on it. Now a fig tree is interesting because it actually puts forth the, uh, the, the fruit and then its leaves uh, come forth afterwards. When you see the tree that has leaves on it, it is broadcasting that it has fruit. And, and the nation it, it had the leaves, it had the, the rituals uh, going on, it had the sacrifices, it had the temple, it, it had the prayers, it had all of the externals, but there was no fruit from the nation of Israel. And, and as the nation, through the prophetic word of God, was supposed to identify and establish the Messiah as king, when Christ comes, they didn't even recognize him. Zero fruit. And so the fruitless will now be set aside. And, and Jesus now declares, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. In verse 15, it says, and so they came to Jerusalem. And then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. You see, the, the Mount of Olives slopes steeply down and, and then back up to the, through the Kidron Valley up to the Eastern Gate. And, and that was where the Temple Mount was. And, and the city lay on the other side. And when you're coming in from the west, or from the east rather, you would have to come down the Mount of Olives and then go all the way around the city the walls to get now to the city and so people began to start to take a shortcut and come up onto the temple mount and cut through the court of the gentiles and then on the other side there was a bridge that led into the uh, the city itself and and so now everyone starts using the the sacred grounds of the temple as a thoroughfare well if you're using it as a thoroughfare there there's going to be a lot of people trafficking there and and the next thing you know there's people selling bottles of water for a dollar to the people that are cutting through and and then there's food and and then there's another person setting up his little stand and and the next thing you know it all becomes a populated and and suddenly an entire marketplace has has been established there in the temple in the court of the gentiles which had been set up in order to invite the world as a place to come and to pray to the true and the living God. And so Jesus drives them out. The money changers move in. And, and those who sold the, the doves, they used to have their, theirs in the city. But now they had been so bold as to move their market right up into the, uh, the temple itself. And then he taught, verse 17, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and 
sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. We see Jesus bookends his ministry with the cleansing of the temple. We see in the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus cleanses the temple, and now, three years later, here he is again at the end of his ministry, cleansing the, the temple. And we see the response is the same. By what authority are you doing this? Who gives you the right to come into the temple and start uh, overturning tables and, and taking authority here? at the temple. The religious leaders would use that very question to try and remove the popularity of Jesus with the people. As Jesus would come boldly now into the, the temple, they knew that they wanted to assassinate Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus, but they also knew that they couldn't do it publicly, that they couldn't go in the middle of the temple and lay hands on Jesus. And, and so they had decided that after the Passover was gone, that they would then seek to be able to, to destroy Jesus. But in the meantime, Jesus's popularity is growing and growing and growing. And and so now they sought a different plan. Let, let's go and publicly try and humiliate him in front of all of the people. We'll try and discredit him so that, uh, that they will stop uh, following uh, after him. And, and so we see the first uh, of those that come it tells us in John's gospel that, that the Greeks also came to worship at the feast. And, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And, and in this, John records for us that, that already the Gentiles and the outreach to the Gentiles was beginning, that the gospel would now go forth from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, even to the utter ends uh, uh, of the earth. Jesus departs back to Bethany. They reside in Bethany for the night. And it says in verse 19, when evening had come, he went out of the city. And now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. And so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Say that with me. Have faith in God. Those are the words of Jesus himself. He was telling the disciples to trust. Put your entire faith in God. Trust in God. Believe in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. We see that once again that 
Jesus is teaching us to pray. When we pray the will of God in our life, then God is going to answer those prayers. When we pray selfish prayers, God's not going to answer those prayers. But when we pray the will of God, then God is going to answer those prayers. We also see that Jesus condenses down. We see these bullet points now as time is, is running out. I think of those hourglasses that have the sand running through it and how Jesus had one week left and there is the sand running through it and he knows that he has that much time left. And, and, and here he is distilling the most important into these staccato messages and bullet points and, and opportunities to touch on the subjects, to put the, the final finishing touches on his disciples, knowing that he will no longer be in the flesh with them. The importance of right relationships with each other. To not hold grudges, roots of bitterness, unforgiveness. He had taught on it before, but once again, the importance of that. The importance for us as well to make sure that, that we are not holding anything against uh, anybody. You must forgive everybody. Everybody? Not just, can I just have a few that I'm not going to? Everybody. Of everything. How about most things? <laughs> everything why because how much has god forgiven you most mm, or all Can you imagine if you get to heaven and it's like you know what i forgave most of your sins but you can't come in because there were a few that i didn't forgive and so we must also forgive and notice how he's connecting it even in prayer that in your prayer life that it not be hindered, there can't be unforgiveness going on in your life. And so, continues then again, they came to Jerusalem, verse 27, and, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. And so they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, these religious leaders, they came and they were testing Jesus. By what authority are you doing these things? And, and they expected Jesus to say that he had no authority that, and to just have him now speechless before them. And, and so you are just a self-made um, prophet uh, here. You are taking these things upon yourself. And, uh, and so they, they ask him by what authority he's doing these things, thinking that they've got him on the horns of a dilemma with this question. And Jesus asked them a simple question. John the Baptist, was he a prophet or not? 
Now all of the people believed and knew that John the Baptist was a, a prophet. For 300 years, the nation of Israel had not had a prophet until John the Baptist arose there and was baptizing there in the Jordan River. And you'll remember that all of Jerusalem went out to be baptized to John the Baptist. Now, these are the religious leaders and the religious leaders' responsibility are to use the scriptures to vet out false prophets from true prophets. And so Jesus now uh, asks the religious leaders, what have you decided? about John the Baptist. That's your job, to be able to, to vet the prophet. And, and by this time, John the Baptist had already been beheaded. His entire ministry was now behind him. And, and so they reasoned within themselves. If they say that he's a true prophet, then Jesus is going to say, why didn't you believe him? Because John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I must decrease that he may increase. I baptize in water. There's one coming after me who will baptize in fire of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to unlatch. And so if the religious leaders say John was a prophet and that prophet pointed to, to Jesus, then why weren't they listening to the prophet? And if they say he's not a prophet, the people are going to strangle him because they all believed that John the Baptist was a prophet. And so they said, I don't know. <laughs> and we see how foolish they then looked by not being able to answer a simple question as to whether or not John the Baptist was a prophet or not. We see that the Pharisees and the Herodians come next, trying to entrap Jesus. Remember that Jesus is coming, marching boldly into the temple, into the, the court of the Gentiles, and he is teaching, and the crowds are gathering, and, and, and they are coming in trying to send these uh, these situational assassins uh, in to interrupt his teaching and, and in front of everybody uh, make him look foolish and and so we see that the priests and the elders they they depart and uh, and next the pharisees and the herodians and and it says in verse 13 then they sent to him some of the pharisees and the herodians to catch him in his words and when they had come they said to him teacher we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. If he was teaching the way of God in truth, why weren't they following what Jesus was teaching? But we see the flattery, the, the words that are used, but there's no truth behind it. And, and so they get to the, to the fish hook under the bait. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. And so they brought it. You know, I wonder when Jesus said, Why do you test me? How long he waited. And if he looked at each of them, Why do you test? me they're testing god himself 
and he looks at them knowing that they're just filled with hypocrisy why are you testing me it is such a disingenuous question it is such a, a sham in front of the people it is theater Jesus instructs them, bring a denarius that I may see it. And so they brought it. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled. Adam. The kingdom of God is being established. Christ came to to bring the kingdom down to earth and to allow us to enter in. And, and we see the, the currency of this world. It's not the currency of the kingdom of God. We have been made and stamped in the image and likeness uh, of God. And we are to render to God the things that are in God's honor and praise and adoration and all glory that belongs to God. That is what we are to render to God. And to the government that has their image stamped into it to show that they have ownership, remember that the scriptures validated the institution of government. Render to the government the things that are the government's. And render to God the things that are God's. And they marvel to Adam. And, and once again, they slink off and Jesus continues to minister and to teach and and it says in verse 18 then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and <coughs> they asked him saying teacher Moses wrote to us that if a, a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, remember that this is the Leverite uh, law, the law of the Leverite. And remember that the tribes had the, the land and the land had been given to the different tribes. And so now what we have is within a family, they've got their land, but uh, there is a, a wife that hasn't produced a, a son. Uh, and so that land needs to stay within the family and stay within the tribe. And so the Leverite was to give an offspring to be able to keep the, the land as God had allotted it to the various different tribes. And so that was the purpose of the, the Leverite. And so they now take and, and create this question, another disingenuous question here. And, and so it says that in verse 20 now there were seven brothers and the first uh, took a wife and dying he left no offspring and the second took her and he died uh, nor did he leave any offspring and the third likewise so the seven had her and left uh, no offspring last of all the woman died uh, also Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. 
And so they, they, they create this, uh, uh, this scenario of seven men fighting uh, over her <laughs> or seven men saying, no, you take her, no, you take her, no. <laughs> what was in that coffee she was giving them, everybody uh, here? And, uh, and so there's this, the, this comical scene that, uh, that is now created uh, by them. And, and remember why it's disingenuous. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. So, so they are now asking a question about the resurrection that they themselves don't even believe in. The Sadducees only believed in the first five chapters, uh, I mean the first five books of the Bible, just in the writings of Moses and, and nothing from the law of the prophets and, and, and so, or nothing from the prophets we see. And so that was limited. And so they didn't believe that the resurrection could be taught out of the, uh, the first five books of the Bible. And, and so we see that in verse 24, Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And you are therefore greatly mistaken. We see that God doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Jacob. And I was the God of Isaac. He says, I am the God of Abraham. The present tense. And, and so we see the, the resurrection is taught there through the burning bush passage. And then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of, of all? Traditionally, the, the scribes spoke of the 613 individual commandments. There were 365 negative commandments. There were 248 positive commandments. And, and so they believed that there were weightier commandments and lighter commandments. And, uh, and so they would try and categorize those. And then they would try and, and, and summarize it all up into one commandment. And, uh, and so this was part of what they would do. And, and so they became very good at arguing. No matter what you said, they had the counter argument to it. This is what they, they loved to do. So they felt by asking Jesus that question here that they would draw him into this, uh, the, uh, this repartee back and forth. And they were very skilled and practiced uh, at this. And, uh, and so, Jesus, how do you weigh in on this? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. 
Notice that once again, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And we see that the great commandment is the vertical axis in our life. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the horizontal axis and love your neighbor as yourself. The cross we see is always before us. Love God and love others. And here we see that Jesus simplifies. He says, that love is the fulfillment of the law and so learn how to love grow in our capacity to love and so the scribe said to him well said teacher you have spoken the truth for there is one God and there is no other but he and to love him with all the heart with all the understanding with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one neighbors as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices now this strikes at the very core of the issue because they had their sacrifices going they they had the externals going they still were coming and bringing the uh, the practice of attending the feasts and all but they weren't loving god and they weren't loving one another and now when jesus saw that he answered wisely he said to her you are not far from the kingdom of god but after that no one dared question him their plan backfired on them. <laughs> they were seeking to discredit Jesus in front of the crowds only to discover that they were discrediting themselves before the people. It says, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich and put in much from the court of the Gentiles. Jesus now moves into the court of the women. And inside the court of the women, there were these 13 chests uh, now uh, where you could come and you could bring your tithe, you could bring your gifts there. And, and the people were coming in and they were putting their, their gifts in. And it says that the, the wealthy, those who were rich, they, they were putting in much. And then one poor widow came and threw in two mites which made a quadrants. And so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. We see the sacrificial giving of this woman that she gave all that she had. And as Jesus was heading towards the cross, he also would give all that he had. And so he recognizes that sacrificial giving and, and he points it out. Not giving out of the excess, but giving all the way down to the very core itself. We see that Jesus weeps uh, over Jerusalem for the final time after uttering the eight woes. That's recorded in Matthew's gospel. And, and Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a, a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the, the name of the Lord. In Mark's gospel, Jesus withdraws from Jerusalem and, and as they are uh, heading over into the Mount of Olives, the, the disciples are just so impressed by the temple, the stature of it, the glory of it, the way that it rises up from the Temple Mount and from the Mount of Olives, it is truly had to have been a, a stunning visual. And they are just like, wow, the temple. See what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answers and says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when... When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And, and we see that the rest of this chapter is known as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, here it, it covers the, the tribulation period. It covers the second coming. Jesus then will give the parable of the fig tree. He will also give the exhortation to watch and in Matthew's gospel, he will go on instructing in parables. He will give the parable of the ten virgins. He'll give the parable of the talents. He'll give the, the parable of the sheep and the, the goats. And, and they return back to, to Bethany. And Jesus teaching and instructing and pouring into his disciples. And in chapter 14 of Mark's gospel, it says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. We see Mary now come and anoint Jesus and breaks the alabaster vase, and pours it out on Jesus and dries it with her feet and And you remember that, that there were some who were indignant. Why was this fragrant oil wasted? And for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Once again, the sacrificial giving unto the Lord. Now, and Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always and whenever you wish you may do them good but me you do not have always she has done what she could she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial and assuredly i say to you wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her and we see the extravagant love poured out sacrificial love what is loving god with your whole heart with all your mind all your heart all your strength all your soul what is 
What does loving God look like extravagantly? We see that in the face and the observation of that extravagant love, we see that there was the, the criticism. The criticism's face, spokesperson was Judas. For Judas wanted that money to be put into the money bag. It tells us that he wanted that because he was a thief and because he was stealing from that bag and seeing the, the cost that that could have been sold for would have given him access to great funds. And, and it is interesting that right after the extravagant gift is given to Jesus that we find Judas going out into the night. Chapter 14, Mark's Gospel, verse 10. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And, and so he sought how he might conveniently betray him. And so these are the events that took place on Wednesday night, bringing us through to where we are today. Tomorrow, Thursday, they will make the preparations for the Passover meal. The Passover meal will be celebrated Thursday night and Jesus will be arrested after the Passover meal there in the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll remember that he'll send the disciples into the city to find a man who is carrying a pitcher of water and to follow him and, and at whatever house he turns into say, my master desires to eat the meal here and everything will be taken care of. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't use an address once again. And I believe it was because at this point, Judas is seeking an opportunity to be able to betray Jesus. And if Judas knew the address there in the city of where Jesus and the disciples would be, that the arrest uh, would have been made interrupting their final meal together. And, uh, and so we see that Jesus uses a way of directing the disciples to uh, the exact location without giving them an address. It's interesting also that he says, just wander into the city. I mean, the city is just swarming with the pilgrims that are there. Just head into the city and you're going to find a man carrying a, uh, a pitcher of, uh, of water. You see, that would have been something that would have caught your eye because carrying water was something that the women normally did. So finding a man carrying water would have, uh, would have been easy to spot. But again, the, uh, the omniscience, uh, the ability to, to know the precise moment that that man and the disciples are going to intersect in the absolute in crowds is miraculous in and of itself. And so Jesus will eat that last meal and he will be in the garden when he is arrested. Friday night we will come back and gather together for our Good Friday service and, and we will pick it up with Jesus' arrest uh, there in the garden of Gethsemane and follow his footsteps all the way to the cross. 
May we continue to just admire the courage of Jesus, the strength of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus for each and every one of us, the way that he loves us so much, that God's heart, his desire, he wills that none should perish, that all should come to everlasting life. And, and Jesus paid it all there at the cross. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We ask that you would just continue to, to help us to see you more clearly, to fall in love with you more completely. And Father, we thank you for the blessings, Lord, that you pour out uh, uh, upon us. We ask, Lord, that, uh, that you would continue to, to do a work in our hearts and, and in our lives. And, and so, Lord, bless us now. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.